All right, having said those two announcements, we come back to our text. We've been studying here in the Word of God, and you can see from the title put on your bulletin this morning <clears throat> that as we continue in our exposition, we've called this section our relationship to other believers. Why? Well, in John chapter 14, let me just put it in perspective. As Pastor Chris has been talking about Hosanna and Palm Sunday, that is long gone off the scene, really, as to where we are in our text. The Lord Jesus Christ has already been presented as king, and they've rejected him. And then he wept over the city. And you remember in John chapter 14, we began a very significant section of this book, whereby Jesus began to explain to his disciples, or his apostles, and remember, it was the apostles with Judas Iscariot gone. Judas Iscariot, who would betray him, had left the scene. And he's now instructing the apostles, and uh, by extension, these things work its way down to us. And he was instructing them in some specific areas. Number one, that his time on the earth, that is, Jesus Christ, was limited. He was not going to be around here much longer with them. Why? Because his focus was on the cross. And why would that be? Just for a moment here, because that's his mission. He has been sent to go to the cross. Why? To die and pay the penalty and price for sin. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. While people still throughout the world today go through the process of celebrating such events as Christmas or Good Friday or such events as even Palm Sunday or the Resurrection Sunday and so forth, there's very little thought given to the significance of what that is all about. And that's an expression of God's love because all men are sinners and have come short of the glory of God. Whether you know one another or you don't, we know that all men are sinners and whether we want to admit it or not, in this world does not like to talk about the concept of sin, its mistakes, its uh, problems, its whatever it might be called, but it is sin. And we sin in our hearts, and God knows that. So how do we get that corrected? Is it by going to church? Is it by reading our Bible? Is it by going to some religious organization or being a member of some particular church, such as this or some other church? No. Why? Because salvation is not by good works. And since all men are sinners and come short of the glory of God, God loved us and sent his only begotten son, his unique son, that is Jesus Christ, who is God in the flesh. And he came to the earth, and he came to this earth so that he could not only take on the form of man, but ultimately go to the cross of Calvary to satisfy the righteous judgment of God. Because the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. And the wages of sin is death. We experience physical death. We know it's coming. And uh, we can see that. That's a result of man's sin. But spiritual death, separation from God, happen also because of man's sin. And that can only be restored by a sacrifice that would be satisfying, and it's found in the person of Jesus Christ. So while he came and even offered himself to the nation of Israel, they rejected him. And now he's going toward that mission in which he will satisfy the righteous demands of the law, in dying, in the shedding of blood, there is remission of sins. And so the Lord Jesus Christ has got that into focus, and he's reminding his disciples that he's now just really hours away from the cross of Calvary, and then he's going back to the Father from whence he came. He came from the Father, came to this world, would go to the cross, and then return 
to his Father in heaven. But he didn't just tell them that, he wanted to encourage them. He wanted to encourage his apostles in letting them know several things. One, in his going away, he was going to prepare a place for them. That's what we call heaven. And the more I proceed through the book of Revelation, you're going to be hearing more about heaven and hell. And I want to just tell you that in advance, and I'll tell you why, because there's a lot of articles being written and books that are being written. Time magazine even has an article in its most recent issue dealing with the concept of heaven and hell. So as I expand on Sunday nights, you're going to hear some comments regarding what's going on contemporaneously with what I'm studying and so forth. But that aside issue, he's going back to his father to prepare a place for them. He's also coming back for them, as he encouraged them in chapter 14. But even more significant to to that, to their practical life, because they're still here on earth, he's going to the cross. He encouraged them with something else. And that is, in the meantime... God was going to use them, that is, the apostles. And it comes right down to us. Jesus Christ is not physically here on the earth right now. He is with his Father in heaven. Well, how do we carry on? How do we live in this world? In a way that's pleasing to God. In a way that has meaning. And that is what he began to instruct them in. How to carry on their work. That's what brought us into this chapter. And in chapter 15, he uses the metaphor of the vine and the branches, of which we've spent four messages now, just on the first eight verses. And in this metaphor, he's trying to help them so that they can understand how they are to carry on the work of the Lord Jesus Christ while he was gone. Now, you may have not been here far, or you may have forgotten But in this chapter, he's dealing with three different relationships. And in verses 1 through 8 that we spent that time on already, what he was dealing with was the relationship of the apostles or the relationship of the believers with Christ. How are we to relate to Christ while he's gone, while he's not here on the earth? How are we to carry on that relationship? And to summarize what we've been studying for four weeks, it came down to this that we are to abide and bear fruit. That's as simple as we can put it, and those are the key terms. We are to abide in Christ. We are to remain in Christ. We are to continue. We are to stay connected to Christ. We don't desert the things of God regardless of the trials that may come our way. We stay connected to him. We remain there, and what do we do? We don't produce the fruit we saw, but we bear fruit as God produces fruit in our life. So in relationship to Christ, while he's gone and he goes back to the Father, his apostles were to remain with him, to abide in him, and we talked about that term over and over, and to bear fruit. Now as we come to our text today, he's continuing into the second relationship as he's encouraging them. And that's why I went back to the review, that they understand, that we understand, he's now going into the area of talking about how they are to carry on while he's gone and now in relationship to one another. And the third aspect that we will get to eventually in this chapter is that then he will tell them how they are to relate to the world outside. So we're into the second aspect today as we begin in verses 9 through 17, and he addresses how they are to relate while he's gone to other believers. And that's going to start in verses 9 through 11 in just a a moment. 
And I want to get right to the point. How are we to relate to one another? Let me give you an overview of what we're going to study here in this particular situation. The whole relationship is based upon one thing, something that he already taught a little earlier in the evening. And what was it? Love. Love. How are we to relate to one another? By love. And we know that intellectually. We'll talk more about that. Go back to chapter 13 for just one moment. In chapter 13, verses 34 and 35, we have already studied this. And you'll see what I mean. Just hours earlier in the evening, here's what he said. Verses 34 and 35. A new commandment I give to you, that ye love one another. How? Even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. And he said this, verse 25. By this all men will know that you are my disciples. How do people know that we belong to Christ? If you have love one for another. So he's already said a little earlier in the evening that this is what he expects as far as the relationship among believers. And we could stop here and go home, I guess, if we didn't expand. But the Lord wanted to expand even with them and explain how this is done. And so he says that the basic bottom line is that love is to be there. For example, back in chapter 15 now, take a quick look. In chapter 15, look at verse 9. Just as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Verse 10, abide in my love. Verse 10 again, the end of the verse. Abide in his love. Verse 11, these things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and your joy may be full. Verse 12, this is my commandment. What? That ye love one another. How? Just as I have loved you. Verse 13, Greater love hath no man. Verse 17, this I command you, that you love one another. You get the point? That's the bottom line. We can see that right away. The bottom line is our relationship with one another is based upon love. However, what does that mean? We all know this, but just what kind of love is this? When people talk about love, even among Christians, we use that term loosely. In fact, if someone's doing something that you don't like, you often hear a Christian turn around, we're supposed to love one another, and that's supposed to shut everything off. And people's concept of the, the word love means different things. People say we are to love one another, and what the person saying that, it means to them, sometimes it means something different to somebody else. And so we need to understand from the biblical point of view what Jesus Christ was instructing them when he was talking about loving one another. We are to love one another. Listen, if you don't get anything else, get this right away. As Christ intended us to love one another. That's the way we're to love one another. And it's not necessarily just emotional and so forth. In fact, I will say this to you. For us to understand what Christ is talking about when he tells us to love one another... In our text, I believe it brings out very clearly this, that it is absolutely necessary, it is absolutely mandatory, it is absolutely essential, to put it different ways, 
that we understand three things that are foundational in this love. What are they? They come out of this text. Here it is. One, what the love is based upon. Number two, what the source of that love is. And thirdly, what our responsibility is. In order to understand this, in order to be able to love one another, as Christ is talking about here, and to understand biblical love, we need to understand what it's based upon. We need to understand what the source of that power is, and we need to understand what our responsibilities are. And so let's deal with the necessity of understanding this foundation. Let's look at it. What is the foundation of this love? Now, I know that you're probably going to answer that pretty quickly, but i tell you something. When I began to study this text, I was challenged with something that I had never noticed. I've read this thing so many times before, and I never really gave it much thought. What is it based upon? Verse 9. Let's look there. Then I'll give you the answer. In verse 9 it says, Just as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. What is it based upon? What is this love based upon? What is the bottom line foundational thing? Here it is. It's not tricky. It's based upon the Father's love for Jesus. That's what he says. Before we get into Jesus Christ talking about you are to love others as I have loved you, he starts in chapter 15, verse 9, by saying, just as the Father has loved me. If we don't understand that, we can't possibly understand what he means by I have also loved you. Because he says, just as he loved me is the way that I have loved you. And it goes back to the Father's love for the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I found that rather fascinating. It caused me to ask this question. How has the Father loved the Lord Jesus Christ? How is that? And I found it interesting. I shared this with Pastor Chris. I had some questions as I was studying this week that I was asking staff members and so forth. I hadn't thought too much about how the Father loved the Lord Jesus Christ. And I don't think I'm exaggerating. I took out at least 15 commentaries, and not one of them, not one, commented on that expression. I couldn't find a one. Everybody commented on Christ's love for us and how we ought to love. Not one of them commented on, in fact, several of them just bounced over the term. They said, just as the Father has loved me. And then they went on to express whatever. I couldn't find a one that made a comment on it. So it caused me to think about it. And it's something that I hadn't thought about too much before. How does God, the Father, love the Son? Especially, think about this, when they're both God. The Father's God, the Son's God. So how do we do that? I'll be honest with you. You know, you know what my answer was, because I'm open with you guys as a teacher. I first said to myself, I have no idea what he's talking about. Is there any guidance in Scripture? And you know what I found? I found there's some guidance right in the Gospel according to John. So let's take a look at it. John chapter 17, first of all. Let's go there. I'm going to start a little backwards here. How did the Father love the Son? In John chapter 17, in verses 24 to 26 is the first thing I found. John chapter 17, beginning in verse 24. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me be with me where I am, so that they may see my glory 
which you have given me. For you loved me, watch, before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, although the world has not known you, yet I have known you, and these have known that you have sent me, and I have made your name known to them, and I will make it known so that the love, watch, with which you loved me may be in them and I in them. And what is that telling us? An awful lot. I could give you a whole sermon on this. But there's several things that we can learn. This talks about the Father's love for the Son. One thing that it says is his love was eternal. It was before the foundation of the world that the Father had this love. It also happened in the knowledge that the Father and the Son have with one another. Is that not true? I've made known to them that I know you and so forth, so that they, the love that which you had for me, part of that love was in the revelation that happens between the Father and the Son. So in some way, we find out that the Father has loved the Lord Jesus Christ eternally. We can certainly say that. Second thing I found in John, and again we could expand on this, go back to something we've already studied, John chapter 3. John chapter 3. John chapter 3, verses 34 and 35. For whom... Excuse me, for he whom God has sent speaks the words of God, for he gives the Spirit without measure. Watch. The Father loves the Son and gives all things into his hand. What does that tell us? Well, again, I think it tells us at least some things. It tells us that the Father's love, I put it this way, was also a practical love. What do you mean by that, Pastor Dan? Three things I pulled out of this. Number one, it was in this. It was in wisdom. He loved the Son in wisdom. In what way? In verses 34 and 34, uh, 35, it says, He whom the, he, excuse me, for he whom God has sent speaks the words of God, and he's given him the Spirit without measure, for the Father loves the Son and gives him all things in his hand. What was he doing? He was sending the Lord Jesus Christ in wisdom, He knew what was best for the Son. He knew what was best for mankind. He knew what would bring glory to God. Let me just stop in this passage for a moment. Do you realize that he's talking about sending him and speaking the words and the Spirit without measure and his love and so forth, that God knew from the foundation. He knew the plan of the Father, and he was sent to accomplish something specifically that the Father wanted. The third thing that's practical here is he gave them the ability to do it. He gave him all authority, it says. He gave him that. He had given all things into his hand. So that when the Lord Jesus Christ came in, he was sent in a practical way because of the wisdom of God to accomplish the mission of the work of God, and he was given the power of God to accomplish that. So his love is expressed eternally. His love is also expressed in that he had a task for him to do. And not only did he have a task, but he knew what the Father's task was. And he had the ability 
to accomplish it. We also find, go to John chapter 5, that he tells us this. And I'm just sticking to John for simplicity this morning. John chapter 5. It's an interesting study that I think you could take in your own. But in John chapter 5, in verse 20, he says, For the Father loves the Son. That's what we're learning about, and that's how he loved the Son, and the Son's going to love us, and we have to do that in turn. And watch this. And he shows him all things that he himself is doing. That's going to become important to our text. And the Father will show him greater works than these, so that you will marvel. What is this saying? It was instructional. His love was also instructional in that he disclosed the full plan of God to the Son. The Son knew. He had the instruction directly from the Father. One more passage. John chapter 10. John chapter 10. Now again, you could chew even deeper into these verses. But I think it gives us some things. In John chapter 10, in verse 17, he says this, For this reason the Father loves me. So the Father's love is here. How? Because I lay down my life so that I may take it again. What is that? Well, a couple of different words I put on it. He loved him uh, with confidence in that he knew his son would carry out the task. He also loved him in a way in which it was demonstrated by obedience. Demonstrated by obedience. The father knew his will. He gave it to the son. The son knew the father's plan. He had the authority, according to the passage, and he not only had the authority, according to verse 18, by the way, and so forth, but he also followed through and he laid down his life by obedience. By obedience. So the father loved him in many ways. And I could go on with some other verses. There's some other things that we don't have in the verses that are before us that would be obvious to you, and I don't think I have to turn to the verses. He loved Jesus Christ in a way that was different from the way he loved others. You say, what? He didn't love the angels the same way he loved the Son. Mm -mm. The angels aren't going to be seated at the right hand of the Father. The angels are not going to be given a name among where every name will bow to the name of Jesus Christ. No. He loved him in a special way as well. And, And that was unique to him. And when we look at it, let me just give it to you in a summary this way. The Father's love for the Son, and you can go back to John chapter 15, The Father's love for the Son certainly was eternal. It certainly was, in a practical sense, God-honoring. It wasn't just any type of love. The Father instructed the Son what He wanted to do, and the Son carried it out in a way that would be pleasing and bring glory to God. All love that we talk about as far as biblical love should bring glory to God. It should honor the name of God. It was a perfect love. It was a complete love, obviously. It was also a self-sacrificing love. How? God sent his son. It would have been great for the son to stay with the father for all eternity where he was. But it was also sacrificial and then he sent him. That's part of the word that we understand as we hear that word agape, which I never have mentioned the term this morning yet. But we see all of this was involved in the Father's love for the Son. It was eternal. It was practical. 
It was one in which he was complete. It was perfect. It was honoring. It was self-sacrificing. And when you go to John chapter 15, and it says, just as the Father has loved me, all of that's involved in it. All of it. And there was this connection between the Father and the Son that was special. There wasn't anybody else. That's why Jesus Christ could say that he was the way, the truth, and the life. No man could come unto the Father but by him. Why? It was a special type of love. And it was a special type of love where he was the one who had the task that God wanted. What his task was, was to follow out in obedience. And then he says in chapter 15, if you look at it in verse 9, he says, this is the way that Jesus loved us. Because he says, just as the Father loved us, I have loved you. What does that mean? It's not just emotional, folks. Sometimes when people are talking about love, all they care about is you'll love me so you'll ignore my sin. You'll love me so you'll ignore what I did or whatever. Or you'll just love me regardless. That's not the type of love Jesus Christ had. It never overlooked sin. It always honored the Father. It was always in obedience to him. It was always a reflection of the Godhead. It was eternal. It was sacrificial. And it didn't respond to injustices that were done to it, which is interesting, and I didn't go into that one. And so, first of all, the foundation is built on the fact that it's the love of the Father for the Son, and that is the way Jesus Christ loved us. And it was shown by his obedience. And what are we to do? What is the source of our power? I talked about the source. Well, look at verse 9 again. He says, As I have also loved you, abide in my love. Abide in my love. What is that? The source of our power, the source of our loving this way, and it's connected, I told you, right back to the vine and the branches, is by abiding in him. It's the Father's love through following through us or flowing through us. It is the Son's love coming through us. This is not something we do in our own power. We cannot possibly love one another, listen, unless the Father's working in our life. We can't possibly love one another the way Christ has loved us unless he's going through our life. Again, it comes back to the concept of the vine and branches. We have to be abiding in him, even to love one another. Why? Because you're not lovable, and neither am I, and neither are you to one another. We can't possibly love one another the way the Father loved the Son, or the way the Son loved us, unless we're abiding in Christ, unless we're resting in him, unless we're staying close. We can't do this in our own power. It is impossible why do you think he said earlier in the chapter that without him it is impossible to do anything? Do you remember that? Look at verse 5. For apart from me you can do what? Nothing. Even in this love. We go around thinking I can just love you and you can just love me and you can love the people on this side and you can love the people on that side and it's just natural and it's just going to come and it's all flower language. I can say that because I was around in the 70s. It's all flower language and all of that stuff. That's not the type of love that God's talking about at all. We're talking about a supernatural love. We're talking about a love that loves even when people aren't lovable. Now that is not the case with God. There are some distinctions there. 
because Jesus Christ and the Son, there was never a time when he wasn't lovable. But with us, that's impossible. We have to stay at Jesus' side. We can't love one another this way without the power of God flowing through us. It can't happen, folks. You can't go expressing love outside, if you're going to see in a moment, the revealed word of God. That's not biblical love. It might be love, but it's not the type of love we're talking about here. You can't turn around, as you're going to see in some practical applications in just a minute, and love the way God loved, wanted us to love one another without his power. So it's founded in the Father's love for the Son. It's also founded in Christ's love for us. And our source of our power is God himself. How do we do this? What is our responsibility? Well, certainly we can't love one, someone else eternally because a lot of times we didn't even know one another. By the way, I didn't go into it, but that's the love that God had for us. He also says in terms with us, before the foundation of the world, God had this whole plan. And he loved us in that special way. But we can't love one another, one another that way. But we can love one another as Christ wants us to because we've been given power to as well. Well, how do we do this? Well, let's go on. We're just in verses 9 through 11 right now. He says, abide in my love. Well, that's fine. I'm to remain. I'm to stay at your side. How do I abide in your love? He tells us, verse 10, here is your responsibility and my responsibility. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Now watch, comparison, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. It started with him. Jesus Christ loved us in the same way that the Father loved him. We ought to love one another in the same way that Christ has loved us and that Father's love was there for the Son. What brought it together in the practical way, in the outworking of it? Jesus Christ always obeyed the Father's will. Let me give you an example. Go to John chapter 8. Just one verse. We've seen many just in John. John chapter 8. Why? For I want to the Father's plan and will. And if you will, give me, let me give you a practical application with the life of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's in the Garden of Gethsemane. He realizes what's before him. It is overwhelming. He sweats as it was, uh, drops of sweat that are blood. And he says, Father, if it be possible, take this cup from me. It was overwhelming to bear the sin of the world. But then he said this, Nevertheless, not my will, but thy Two more verses. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. I'm going to be frank with you as a pastor. I've missed this verse many times, even in my preaching. Verses 1 and 2. Therefore, Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witness surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and every sin, notice that, which so easily entangles us. Oh, how true that is. Now watch. Let us run with endurance. Monday's going to be the marathon. We won't be in that race, but we are in this race if you're a Christian. Run with endurance the race that is set before us. Now watch this. 
Fixing our eyes on Jesus. Why? He is the author and he's the perfecter of our faith. There is no true salvation or faith without Christ. But watch the rest of the verse. Who, that is Jesus Christ, for the what? Help me, louder. Joy. For the joy that was set before him. What was that? Often I've looked at it as Christians and so forth. You know what it really is? The verse tells you. Watch. Endured the cross, despising the shame. And he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. You know what brought joy to the Son? It was the cross. Why? Obedience to the Father. He could endure it. Why? That was the joy of his heart, to please the Father's wishes. And what should truly bring joy to our life, we look for it every place else. And in a, and in a way, those things will bring joy to us, no doubt. A doctor's report, children, grandchildren, spouse, those things bring joy. But that, it shouldn't be the one, number one joy of your heart. It should be to please God. And it all comes together. Because we are to love one another. And I'm not done with the passage, but for today I am. I've got one verse to go to still. And that is that we need to see that we are to love one another just in that love that came from the Father to the Son, the Son to us. It's a godly love. It isn't just. There is emotions. No doubt about it. But it's based on truth. It's based on the character of God. It's based on the knowledge of God. It's based on what God the Father wants. And for us, he's given us the power. He's equipped the disciples, and that's what he's saying. Now go out what you've seen demonstrated in me and love other people that way. Only in this case, he's talking about believers. That is the type of love that you and I are to have for one another. It's that love that loves at all times, that is able to forgive, that is able to show compassion even when you don't want to that is able to go into the word of God and obey it. Why? Because that's what brings joy to our hearts. And our joy will be full. Jesus Christ has called us, according to John, to an abundant life. And that life of abundance, that life of joy is going to be found. And if you're lacking that joy or I'm lacking that joy, I guarantee the reason is because we're not obeying God. The joy escapes when we fail to obey him. Because when we know we're pleasing to God, that'll bring joy to our life. And it is such a blessing when we overcome evil with good. It is such a blessing when we forgive when somebody is not worthy of that forgiveness. Because we're doing it because God's told us to. It's a delight when we have our brains going one way saying, do this. And we yield to the Spirit of God and say, no, I won't get involved in that sin because I delight in doing God's will. And that will bring joy to your heart. Let me close with this. Psalm 16. Verse 11. Psalm 16, watch this. Psalmist says, you will make known to me the path of what? Life. I've shared that with you today. If you're here this morning and don't know Jesus Christ's salvation, let me tell you this. There is a real hell. 
Don't just go read about books that don't think there are. Hell's a real place. There is a payment of sin that you will pay if you don't trust in Jesus Christ for salvation. He is the way to life. But I want all of us to catch the rest of the verse. In your presence, watch, is what? Fullness of joy. Where are we going to find the fullness of joy? I believe it with all my heart. My joyous times as Christians, as a Christian, is spent in the presence of God. You know, I love to prepare sermons. I love to study the Word of God to share with you. And if you haven't learned this by now, what you get is what's on my heart after the Lord teaches me. But I delight to be in that room and to let God just work on me. You know what my best part today was? I'll be honest with you. With all that's gone on this morning, it was when I was on my knees in my office praying this morning before I came in here and just delighting to be in God's presence and looking for God to have his will fulfilled as this message came forth. We delight the best. It should be if you're a believer. We're in the presence of God. Not mystically, but in your daily walk. When you're abiding in him for his power to work through you so that you can treat others the way you should, not the way you want. So you can love other people the way Christ loved you, not the way you'd like to get back. And then he says in the end of the verse, in your right hand, it's pleasures forever. We're going to be spending eternity with Christ. We're going to be spending eternity with one another. And the Lord Jesus Christ, before he left this earth, wanted his disciples to understand something. I've told you how to bear fruit, and I've told you how to be related to me. Abide in me. But I want you to know how to relate to one another. And that is, you've got to remain in me and obey what I've said. Then you will love one another as I have loved you. And the passage that I never got to, that I told you there was one other one in there, was Ephesians chapter 4, and I think you're studying it, or you just did, in your home Bible studies this week. And that is that we need to see how all the body fits together. That's loving one another. Last week I told us as we talked about our bodies. Do you look at the other person in the pew? That's part of your body. It's part of the body of Christ. And we ought to be fitting in and loving one another, and caring for one another when we're hurting, when we're joyous, rejoicing, and so forth, and then we will have pleasure in God, joy in God, because we're doing His will. My God help us to have that biblical love, one for another, as the Father did for the Son, as the Son did for us. We'll continue on that, Lord willing, in two weeks. Next week, we'll reflect on the resurrection. Let's pray. Our Father in God, the Lord Jesus Christ said he delighted to do your will. It was in your will that he found joy. And Father, there's no doubt in my mind that everybody in this room is looking to have joy. Not as the world offers. That goes up and down all the time. But Father, a joy that's consistent. Father, for mankind, it can't happen unless it first comes through Christ. I thank you that you loved us so much that you sent your only begotten son, Jesus Christ, into the world that he would bear the penalty and price for sin. 
And I pray that anyone in this room that is not yet trusted in Christ would see that religion, church, effort, works cannot bring a person to salvation, but only faith in Jesus Christ. They might experience that love. And Father, that you'd help us, indeed, as we walk as believers and we profess faith in Christ and we profess to love one another. Help us to love as you love the Son. Help us to love as the Son loved us. Father, we know that that's impossible unless your power is working through us by us abiding in you. And you've told us this morning that abiding is demonstrated by our obedience to your commands. Your commands are not grievous. We're to love you with all of our heart, soul, and spirit and mind. And we're to love one another as you have loved us and as you would have us even love ourselves. Father, help us to reach out in that love. Help us to love in that way that, Father, we might experience that joy to its fullest as you designed it for our lives in knowing that we're pleasing in your sight. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.